welcome to Typewriter Talks. This podcast features interviews with writers, poets, and other bookish folks. My name is Marie McDowell, and I'm the founder and executive director of Keep St. Pete Lit, which is a, a literary arts organization based in St. Petersburg, Florida. On Typewriter Talks, we will discuss all kinds of writerly topics, hoping to show you that there is not one right way to be a writer. Today, we are happy to welcome Cherie L. Greer. Cherie is living in Tampa, Florida. She is a writer and founded Kinchin Table Literary Arts in 2014 and is the author of two novels, Let the Lover Be and A Return to Arms, a short story collection and a short story collection, Once and Future Lovers. Her work has been published in Les Talk Anthology, Very Smart Brothers, Auto Straddle, The Windy City Times and The Windy City Queer Anthology, Dispatches from the Third Coast. Sharia is a Vona Voices alum, as well as a Yaddo and Rag Dale Fellow. Her essays, Bars, published in Fourth Genre Magazine, was nominated for a Pushcart Prize and notably named in Best American Essays 2019. Welcome, Sharia. Hey, Marie, what's going on? Oh, I'm glad to talk to you. You, uh, yeah, thank you for you having have me. A, yeah, you got a lot going on right now, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's all good things though. Um, since um, since resigning from full time faculty at a uh, uh, SPC Community College uh, down here, um, I've kind of just been pedal to the metal. Um, you know, sh spreading that that energy that was expended in in one area and moving it into things that are just better aligned with um, what I envision to be my my writer life. Um, and so that's meant um, still teaching. Like I thought I was burnt out from teaching, but I was just burnt out from sort of like academia and like the institution yeah. of it. Um, and so I still teach, uh, teach for The Porch, uh, which is a literary arts center in Nashville. I teach for Story Studio Chicago. I teach for Kitchen Table. Um, I do like kind of one-off workshops uh, with like uh, uh, free expressions and some other folks. So I'm still able to teach, but I'm like working with writers who want to be there versus, yeah. you know, grum <laughs> grumbling comp students that are like, when are you going to grade our essays? So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, it's been a great, it's been a, a great shift to, you know, still have that kind of passion for teaching, but be able to do it in a way that um, is more complementary to my writing life. Um, so that feeds right into uh, focusing on my own work as a writer. So it, it's been really, really great. And Kitchen Table has a new space, right? Yeah, yeah. We have a uh, workshop space in Ybor City. It's in the Crest Arts Building right on 7th Avenue. Um, it's the Writer's Room, and we share it with two other literary arts organizations in Tampa, Heard Em Say, Teen Arts Collective, and The Grow House. Um, and so it's been really fun to think about the ways that our three organizations kind of water different flowers in the literary arts landscape in Tampa. I like so, that. I like that. Um, yeah. So like, you know, Grow House, um, slam poetry, performance poetry is, is one of their main focuses. Of course, heard them say with uh, teen poetry and then kitchen table, um, leaning more towards like page poetry and publication and uh, novelists and short story writers and all of that. So it's a really, really good mix. 
and that is like the place to be uh, for uh, the art community in Ebor uh -huh. right now. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. It's an awesome like space and all the different um, uh, modalities and art forms and studios. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah what a what a place. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a hub. Photographers in there. Our neighbor is a photographer, David. Um, Tempest Projects Art Gallery is in there. I think the third floor is now open. So there's a bunch of gallery spaces up there. The Tampa ba Ballet is over there now. So it's really, really, a it's a hub. Um, and you kind of feel that when you come through the door. So And it's really a beautiful exciting. old building. Beautiful old building, which yeah, is great too. Yeah, yeah, it's classic, a classic Ebor. Yeah, so what are you working on personally as a writer right now? So I just re-released my short story collection, Once and Future Lovers. Uh, it's a 10-year anniversary edition. Congratulations. It's wild. Thank you. Because I feel like, and um, I don't mean to date either of us, but I feel like we had just <laughs> met around the time that this came out. So yeah, I yeah, was yeah. just kind of getting into the literary scene around here. So I had met like you, I had met uh yeah. tiffany Rosano, like um and so those were some of my first um first kind of opportunities to even share my work uh was coming yeah to, it's our 10th uh, anniversary oh, this year yeah see yep, it was around the yep. Time. yep um i read from it at um you were doing um the uh, you were doing an open mic uh forget exactly where it was who knows um, <laughs> did you ever do one out of six out of studio 620 yeah we did a yeah um, that tiffany with um wordier than that okay. did the yeah did the, a fiction did we do the poetry yeah. yeah and so like i remember yeah so this book had just come out and i was just kind of trying to find my footing and find my community and so to to re-release it um and be like snap that's 10 years that has passed that is wild, that's wild. Mm -hmm. yeah that's wild. so i'm so I'm out with that and um, kicking up on the second leg of that kind of a hybrid tour of sorts uh, with that book and working on my memoir, which I'm determined to finish at least a full first draft of this summer. So uh, that's man, that's exciting. My head's been at. <laughs> so tell us what a typical day looks like for you as a writer. Typical day. So um, I tend to like to ease into my mornings, but I did find that there's something about the super early morning, like right before the sun comes up, like mm. uh, uh, getting like 5 a.m. ish, uh, where I'll have some tea and I'll do, I guess, uh, what was it, um, camera call it in the artist way, the morning pages? Morning pages, yep. Yep, I do those yeah, too. So yeah. Yes, yeah, so I do some I do some morning pages and have my tea and then kind of just let the let the day um begin itself. And um I usually try to work on my own work, whether that's uh right now it's my book proposal for the memoir, um, or working on a mem a draft of an essay or a, a new poem, like whatever I'm working on, I like to do that in the beginning part of the day. Mm -hmm. Um because I'm I'm less likely to have a to to not get to it if if I push it out later. Yeah. You know how day kind of just becomes its own thing. And, and the so world's gotten involved first, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if I can do that first, 
um, I've set myself up for a successful writing day because usually I've I've I'll, I'll work till maybe uh, nine, eight or nine, mm-hmm. so a good three hours or three and a half nice. hours. And um, if I don't do any other writing that day, I know that at least I put in that solid three hours to start. Um, Love it. Yeah, I try to um, uh, try to do some um, some uh, meditation and some physical activity. Uh, and then I'll get back into whatever my project is or my goal is for the day. And what I found is, um, and, it, and it's it's funny, I, I mentioned it to you before before we started, the, the Deep Work book by Cal Newport. Uh, and, and in reading it, I was just thinking about like taking a, an assessment of like when you feel most productive and, yeah. and how you set yourself up for success. And so- mm-hmm. I found that I could I could sometimes get myself off track if I have like morning meetings or morning emails that I need oh, to yeah. get to. Absolutely. And, oh yeah. Yeah. So I completely push like I don't even open email until after lunch usually. <laughs> so I usually um, don't take meetings until after lunch. Yep. Same. I, I'm like, yes, yeah, so, yeah, yep, yeah. That same. So no meeting. I try not to schedule any meetings before like one o'clock if I can, mm-hmm. um, I'll dig into emails until after lunch. Uh, I'll have a, you know, admin time. Cause all of that is like that admin, uh, shallow yeah. work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I tend to, I tend to be pretty regimented for the first half of the day. Um, and then it, I loosen up as the day continues, I guess. So how has your writing process changed over the years? Um, I would say that it's actually been challenging because when I was teaching full time, my writing time was so limited. Yeah. And so I feel like there was this intense focus that I had whenever I could snatch away some time. So like I didn't teach on Fridays. And so my Fridays became these sacred writing days and I would get so much work done on Friday because mm-hmm. I think internally I was like, yes, I'm trying to make up for, you know, a Monday through Thursday of not really having any time to write. And so mm-hmm. when Friday comes, you know, just just getting down to it. And so um, it's been a year since teaching full time. However, I was trying to be careful of 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 not recreating my life before with other things, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So, Muscle memory. Part of resigning was like, um, focus, you know, center your writing. That was the plan. And I found myself questioning my productivity. Cause I was like, this feels like too relaxed. Like I feel like, I know I'm getting work done, but I don't feel stressed out. So am I really working? You know, like, yeah. It's just the, yeah weird things that you've got to deprogram about Mm -hmm. productivity and and worth and so much of that you know is is um you know tied up in how productivity and value is measured you know in a capitalist society and and that's totally against our artist's leanings you know like a, a good day is you know maybe i'd edited a few pages and it was it was challenging work to find the right words and 
to, to struggle with these sentences and it's, it was beautiful and I feel good. And that's still work. Like it's not, yeah. So it was, it's, it's been weird trying to revisit all of these things that I've, that have been programmed as far as like what a work day feels like. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, also like, you got to keep in mind that even when you're not at the page, you're probably, well, I, I know I am, I'm working out poems when yeah, I'm doing other things. Yeah. So that's writing time too. It's not just exactly. the time at the desk. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, taking a walk to try to, you know, think through some things or uh, just, just living. reading. Yeah. <laughs> just living reading too. Or, yeah. um, oh, there was, you know, there's this, there's this, album I wanted to listen to and and you know all of that is is you know watering that that creative process but it's it has it began to feel like um I felt like I wasn't like really working and then I had to stop and say you've been you know and and you can attest to this when you've been like going at 200 miles per hour yeah yeah to go 80 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Feels yeah. like you're slacking off, but you're not. You're actually still going quite fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're yeah. actually still making hella progress. You're just not exhausting yourself in the process. So um, it has been challenging in that regard and thinking about, well, now that I'm in charge of my schedule and now that centering my writing is on me right I don't have Mm -hmm. anyone to blame if I'm not working on my stuff right I can't say oh well you know I was teaching all week or nope it is all you and so then that's a different kind of responsibility to yourself and your work too so it's it's been a lot of trying to find my footing um yeah and it's also you're rewiring your brain from yeah being part of the matrix, as I call it. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And also, I, I posted something today about like, instead of saying that we're all burnout, maybe we were, we could use the term that we've been exploited. Like it's, yeah, you know, absolutely. just creating unsustainable ways of working as being cogs in a wheel where we're not bringing into mental health, we're not bringing into time for mothers to have children we're not giving time for grieving we're not giving time for anything really and and we're so programmed that that um you know this is normal but it's like and then it then when you don't feel well pop a pill and then you know it's just yeah it's it's an unhealthy system and those of us that can get out of the matrix as i call it it's such a gift and then oh absolutely you know, 100%. but it's, there's a deprogramming. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. reprogram your brain and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. muscle memory, new ways of seeing and being in the world. And mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. I started studying about a year ago, human design and learned so much about myself. And it was like, Whoa, I don't operate the same as other people. This is why I get worn out faster, but I'm more efficient mm-hmm. in, in my energy. So I don't need to do an eight hour day necessarily. I can do all that in three hours and it's just a different way of looking at things. And I think that's the exciting thing about life is we're always evolving and growing. Yeah, you, I agree. You know, uh, yeah. Along hopefully, hopefully. Of, hopefully. <laughs> I was, I, I, um, I, I call myself a disciple of the Nat ministry. Um, Dr. Yeah, Trisha that's Hersey, a great book. Uh, that's a great book. Yeah. Rest as resistance. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, because part of it too, you know, you talk about like reprogramming or, or deprogramming yourself is, is this idea also of like how much we, we pick up things and we carry things that aren't even ours to carry. And so yep. we're feeling like we're doing something wrong when we're actually operating in the system as it is intended. Like it is intended to exhaust us and to mm -hmm. uh, make us feel desperate and to, you know, cling to whatever's being offered as security or, at, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. Yeah. Being able to, you know, divest from the machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, is a, for me, it's, it's, it's been, uh, I'm, I feel incredibly fortunate um, to be, you know, encouraged and, and supported by my partner. Um, but then also like wish that everybody could find a way, even just like a little bit every day to, divest themselves from from the machine yeah and that's the benefit of naps <laughs> <laughs> yeah just to check out for a little bit power down i often say that to my partner i'm like okay i need to just i need to go to low gear i gotta turn off for a minute give me give me an hour mm -hmm. just to power mm -hmm. down so so tell and us what some oh, oh go is, ahead is no i'll just say that in itself yeah. is resistant, yeah you know in a in a yeah. world that especially for like black women or especially for black women, for women in general, yeah, um, who yeah. are often told, you know, you're so strong, keep pushing, keep doing it. And like, you're doing all the things and showing up when no one else does. Um, and then attacked when you are, you know, when you rest or when you take time for yourself or, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I, it's another thing I've been asking myself is if I'm getting, if I'm feeling a little grumpy or whatever, I'm like, am I needing to be in my masculine or my feminine? And usually yeah. I'm needing to be in my feminine and I, you know, I'm a single parent. I've been running an mm -hmm. organization on my own. So I'm, I'm, it's like, you got to be in the masculine to be go, 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 active, 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 external, mm -hmm. external. And usually when I'm grumpy, it's because I really want to just be in my feminine and I just want to chill. Yeah and space out and kind of be, be feral. <laughs> so that's been a really good, you know, cause we all have the masculine and the feminine in us. It doesn't have anything to do with sex or gender. Right. Right. And right. it's been, and we have such a toxic masculinity culture and this isn't, mm -hmm. you know, like produce, 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 go, 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 stay mm -hmm. detached from your emotions and everybody's suffering. So that's yep. been another question, you know, and then also, as you said, like, is this mine or is this some, is this society's that I'm feeling? Exactly. Is, this, is this actually exactly. mine? And more often than not, it's like, no. And that's why you're right. upset or irritated <laughs> or grumpy, like a, like a toddler. I don't want this. There's a reason we no. feel that way because we're disconnected. Yeah. So, so yeah, we're... back to writing, but this is all part okay. of writing, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us what I, some I of your, so. yeah, your major themes are in your writing. Major themes. Um, what for, what came to mind first was was um, radical love. Mm. Um, and by radical love, right now I'm feeling like that is um, this concept of unconditional love. Mm -hmm. and, and I feel like sometimes unconditional love gets a bad rap because 
folks immediately kind of swing to the far side of um, that idea of like love of of always trying to find like redeeming qualities from people who behave badly or treat others badly um, or hurt others and. Uh, I don't believe that that's what it means. I, I do think that there's a way to love unconditionally and hold folks accountable for yeah. their actions. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it is sometimes very difficult and nuanced and folks don't like being in that nuanced kind of gray space. Uh, and so I feel like that is probably one of the the main themes of my work is this idea of like radical love. What does it look like? What does it feel like to love folks and hold space for accountability? Um, what does well, it mean yeah. to be doing your best, but also know that you could do better? Like, what are some of those, those kind of blurry, messy parts in our relationships and in our societies and communities that um, if we turned a, a more compassionate kind of ear to both ourselves and others, like what is that, what does it look like for real in a relationship between two people or a person in themselves or a person in their family or a person in their community? And so I like to explore those things a lot and kind of inevitably the themes that come through when talking about those kinds of things is you know, a lot of um, kind of familial uh, trauma and intergenerational healing, um, sexuality, gender, class, race, um, because these are all kind of the things that that make up the intersectional identities of, of myself um, and the people I write about. Uh, so just exploring some of those, those kind of messy middles is is where Love I like it. to sit my work yeah you you made me think about like what it's like to be a parent and a lot of parents think that you're being a good parent if you kind of give in to your kid but it's like I, I tell I tell new parents I'm like they're like wild colts give them their boundary <laughs> you know like this is your boundary you can do whatever the hell you want inside there but if you go outside it there's consequences mm -hmm. and that you know you can unconditionally love people but you they got to treat you right you know, like, mm -hmm. this is what mm -hmm. I, this, and, and we think that by not having boundaries, especially women, um, we just, that's showing love or getting love is we're just like wide open and you can kind of give and take whatever you want, but by showing boundaries and setting value for yourself, that's really mm -hmm. those that show up and respect those and, and love you. That's, that's the sweet spot. So I love that that's what, you know, you're addressing. And, and I love that you basically listed all the different, you're like gender, race, you're like, I'm like, yes. you're just listing everything. Cause, saw, Cause it all yeah. falls under love. It all falls under love. Yeah. Love and, it, I mean, and, it's, yeah. and it's all, it's all in there in terms of, you know, wanting to be loved and accepted for who you are. Yeah. Um, and then knowing that there, is a entire history behind folks not doing that. You know what I mean? And how that happens both on the a macro scale and a micro scale. And the it, it's almost like it's vibrating with like 
oppression be feeling like it's vibrating, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and how can we counteract that with a with a different vibration, a higher vibration even, you know? Like, um, what does it look like to, to shine a light into some of these shadows and, and see what or who is hiding there, you know, afraid or hurt or angry? Um, yeah. And so I, I just I just love those complications in characters and in story. And I'm sure it heals you along the way too. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, um, I, I definitely encourage like an actual professional. So like <laughs> I say a lot, you know, writing, writing can be very therapeutic uh, and almost like since I entered uh, therapy, a few years ago, like half the time, I most of the time I feel unstoppable between, you know, my writing and being able to explore some of these things on the page, and then also exploring them with a with a mental health professional. It's just a really great combination. Yeah, agreed. A, a happier, healthier writer uh, than than how like media casts us to be. Right, like media is always like. Oh, some maladjusted, you know, morose poet or writer who has terrible personal relationships and is an alcoholic. (laughs) Yeah, just like abusing substances and people and themselves and but they're brilliant. It's like that is a terrible, terrible example. Like, and and it's not sustainable. I think that's been the largest part of me trying to figure out what does it look like for me to be happy and healthy to be able to do this thing I love for as long as possible um and if you are uh and and then also recognizing that in order to write certain things you do have to go into some of them shadow spaces of sadness grief but like how awesome is it if as a writer part of your talent is being able to access those spaces without you know becoming obliterated by them right yeah so what does it mean for me to be able to write uh, my memoir which is dealing a lot with alcohol abuse and um uh different types of trauma um and then what does it mean for me to be able to go to some of those those moments but still come out of it and be me and be proud of my work and have a community uh, that supports me and loves me that I also support and love. Like just kind of rethinking that definition of, of being an artist. Like you don't have to be tortured. It's not, it's not necessary. I don't think and you're also, a- you're also fighting that kind of stereotype that if you aren't tortured, you won't have anything to write yeah. about. Yeah. That's a yeah. big one. If you're happy, yeah. you don't have anything to write about. <laughs> but but that's the thing is, is you're not happy all the time. And you have yeah. moments that are are steeped in grief and disappointment and anger and loss and rage. And it's like to be a writer and be able to access those things and still come out and have healthy relationships. Um, to me, that's the superpower of a creative is being able to access those things um, for the work, but not live in them, you know? Yeah. And then the people that read what you've accessed, you know, mm-hmm. the, the hope and the goal um, is that, I mean, if one person is changed by something you've written, I mean, isn't that just the best thing ever? Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Exactly. So um, let us. What are you reading right now? Or or and or what are some of, who are some of your favorite authors or poets? Okay, I think it's probably better to just say what I've been reading. So I just I I read um, Cheryl Head's novel A Times. Uh, not uh, I keep putting an A on it. It's called Times Undoing by okay. Cheryl A. Fabulous, fabulous novel. Uh, takes place in two uh, time periods, 90 years apart, uh, dual protagonists, uh, young, uh, ambitious report, uh, journalist, and then a, um, a uh, um, Mason and, and uh, Woodsmith from the 30s, like just incredible novel with a murder mystery at the center of it. It's just, I just really loved it. Um, I also, I just finished uh, The Man Who Couldn't Move Clouds. Oh man, uh, I could talk to you yeah. for an hour and a half, like years <laughs> today about that book. Yeah, man, that book so changed. I just finished Whew. that. Yeah. yeah, and I, uh, it was a um, finalist for Pulitzer. Um, yeah. And it's actually by an old classmate of mine. So me and Ingrid uh, were in a master's program together. Oh, um, I love it. We just read it for our April book club book. Oof. Yeah, it was just an incredible, incredible memoir. Uh, so I just finished that. And then I also finished uh, Unshuttered, which is Patricia Smith's latest poetry mm. uh, book. Mm -hmm. um, and it features photographs. And she wrote poems um, inspired, uh, kind of informed by these, these photographs of, of, of Black folks. And it's, it's just incredible. Uh, and then other than that, it's, it's just been, I've been pouring through my, my comp titles for my memoir. So just uh, revisiting Kiese Lehman's Heavy, uh, Maude Newton's Ancestor Trouble, uh, Brian Broom's Punch Me Up to the Gods, uh, Ursa Daly Ward's uh, The Terrible, which I think you would love. It's a memoir in verse. Um, oh, lovely. Okay. Yeah. And so I've I just been, yeah, so I've been kind of pouring through those again and again too as I work on my book proposal. I love it. I love you doing your memoir. I love it. Thanks. That's really great. So let's hear your like elevator pitch advice to writers. What would be your oh, lightning lightning bolt lightning bolt lightning piece of advice? Piece of advice. Um I would say Trust your voice and avoid comparison. I love it. Like, yeah, just reject comparison. It is, um, and you said it at the top of the show, like nobody's writing journey is the, is the exact same as anyone else's. Mm -hmm. And there's, to quote you, you said, there's no right way to, to be a writer. Yeah. Um, and you can really discourage yourself comparing yourself to what other folks are doing, um, chasing trends or, um, you know, trying to, trying to, to make your, your path measure up to someone else's or, because part of it too is, you know, we get, we get to see so much of the kind of celebrations that writers have and share, yeah. you know, good about book book uh book deals and bestseller lists and all those kinds of things and it's like it's such a a limited view because we don't know what went on behind the scenes 
with anything, yeah. right? So I think, you know, it's it's been 10 years for my 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 book, uh, my short story collection, for example. The, the first time I went on tour with that, with that, I mean, I was sleeping on people's couches and, um, you know, trying to, I mean, it was a hustle. I'm not, I'm not posting that on the socials, you know, I'm yeah. posting me in front of the bookstore or, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, there's so much going on behind the scenes that is almost, it's almost even silly to compare your, your writing journey to someone else's. Cause they're all so different and there's so much we don't know. Um, and so I, I feel like folks can get distracted, um, worrying too much about what other folks are doing. Uh, I was on a, I went to a writer's conference. This was a few years ago. And uh, this writer said, um, you know, I just try to keep my eyes on my own paper. <laughs> so it's like, I love it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, just keep your eyes on your own paper. Trust your voice. Um, trust your, you know, trust your voice and 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 follow the story. Center the story, and and good work will always speak for itself. So that would I love be that. That would be that would be my pitch. That's that's why I love doing this podcast because I mean you're I I think maybe the fifth interview we've done since we relaunched uh -huh. it as a podcast. And uh -huh. every single writer is completely different and giving me a totally different viewpoint. It's like a masterclass. It's like a 30 minute masterclass <laughs> yeah, yeah. that I get. And it, it's so interesting to see like one writer is, I've interviewed, the podcast hasn't gone live, but is doing a full-time job and then has three other side gigs and does writing. And I'm just like, whoa. Wow. Yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't realize like all that goes into it because they're not, mm -hmm. she's not posting that on social media. Like, oh, I just got off my, you know, like, she's posting yeah. as you said the they post the celebrations and stuff and so exactly. that's what exactly. I hope that people can see through this podcast you know is that yeah we all have sure. our own own path to go down and yeah. it's not no one's is the same so but that's the fun yeah. part that's the beauty so share us a piece of your work we'd love to hear some of your writing oh, sure 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 so uh, this is just the intro to one of the stories in the re-released collection uh, so the 10th anniversary edition of Once and Future Lovers is a lot different than um, the first edition. I switched some stories out, put some kind of favorites that were published after the book came out in there. Um, and this is one of those stories. So this is from The Liar. Opal was missing a finger. Well, not really missing it exactly. The pinky on her right hand was a nub. It stopped short ended just at what, at what would have been the second knuckle of her three-jointed appendage. Instead, she had a stump of bone, flesh, and skin, no nail, that ended in a smooth roundness that tingled when rubbed directly. As far as she knew, she was born that way. She remembers doctors, therapists, teachers, and foster mothers trying to get her to write with her left hand, but she refused. As a result, she only wrote with short, stubby pencils that she held like tiny pieces of chalk. Opal never revealed the real story of her pinky, or lack thereof, to anyone. When asked about her finger or her mother, she always found it more interesting and in the end, much safer to lie. Stretching the truth when necessary and downright inventing it when required allowed Opal to feel in control of her story in control of her very being. 
She knew that one's personal story had a special power, a power that can invite people closer or push them away. She wanted to be in control of that power always, especially when dealing with how, when, where, and if she shared her heart. When Opal took lovers, which she did liberally, she told them different stories about her mother and about her finger. Opal told January, a journalism student at UIC, that she lost her pinky in an unfortunate door slamming incident. The heavy rusted passenger door of a 1985 Mercury Marquis had clamped Opal's five-year-old finger like a bear trap. And in a panic of pain and surprise, she yanked away, jerking her hand up and out, the top portion of her pinky left inside the door. Yes, even as a child, Opal purported herself to be that strong. She told Marisol, a woman who'd only dreamt of snow until arriving at University of Chicago, that she lost her finger to frostbite, a wicked case that turned her fingertips from brown to red to yellow to white, then blue to black. The doctors could save them all except one. Opal told Marisol, don't buy gloves, always get mittens. The fingers need to be together to truly stay warm. Tomorrow, a single mother going into social work got a story about a knife fight that went down at one of Opal's foster homes. For Mina, a factory accident working for a meat packing company in Melrose Park. Kimora got a tale of a careless slicing accident from Opal's days working at a deli. To this day, I don't fuck with pastrami, she had said. For Daisha, sweet, sweet Daisha, who was studying for her GED, Opal imparted a story about getting distracted by a fight that broke out in a high school woodshop class and how the buster ass shop teacher, Mr. Kukla, gave her an F because she didn't finish her birdhouse. Never mind the bandsaw that severed half her pinky in an even cut worthy of an A. Unlike her lovers, Opal recycled her stories. She changed tiny details, the make and model of the car, 81 Cadillac Seville, 78 Olds Cutlass, 85 Buick Skylark, the name and location of the deli, Adas on Wabash, the Riverside on Cortland, even the subway out by Ford City Mall. Or she changed the woodshop project, Spice Rack, Lazy Susan, Lamp. The only details that never changed were the hospital, Cook County Emergency, where Opal sat bleeding down her arm, shirt front, lap and floor, until they finally called her name, and of course, the imminent loss of half of her pinky finger. Now stop there. Dang, I'm so in it. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm like in the emergency room, like, oh man. Oof. God, you're writing, man. Bravo. Thank, Thank you. you so much Thank for you. sharing. Thank, Thank you. you for Thank your you. wisdom. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time as a community leader and all the all the good things that make you. Thank shiri. you. Same to you. I'm I'm in good company. Thank you too. <laughs> Thank you everyone for tuning in to Typewriter Talks. Um, if you want to learn more about Keep St. Pete Lit, you can go to keepstpetelit.org, and we will be back with another podcast next week. And please continue to read and write on. And remember, there's not one right way to be a writer. All right. See you next week.